The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today we are joined by Marielle Caron. In her 15th year of working in the aviation industry, Marielle Caron is enjoying her role as a first officer for a private jet company. From her beginnings as a ramp agent, she worked her way through many roles in aviation and ultimately completed her necessary ratings to obtain a flying job. It took nearly 10 years to achieve these qualifications, but after some perseverance, she found success and now holds an ATPL and is type rated on an Embraer Legacy jet. While hers was not a straightforward path to becoming a pilot, she did not give up on her dream and has learned much about aviation along the way. She enjoys sharing her story, sharing her passion, and supporting others along their aviation journey. I truly cannot be more excited to have her join me today. Welcome, Marielle. Thank you, Laura. Very excited to talk to you tonight. Yeah, no, it's been a long time coming. We've been meaning to have you on the show for a while, so I'm really excited that it's all come together. (laughs) This is great. Thank you. We will jump right on in then. How did you get your start in aviation? Um, well, I knew I wanted to be a pilot. Uh, that happened to be sometime around, you know, 16 years old. Um, I just had no idea how I was going to go about it. Um, so I, when I was 17, I was living in Regina and, uh, I just started applying for jobs at the Regina airport. I figured, uh, you know, in the meantime, I could, uh, just be close to airplanes, be close to the industry. Um, and yeah, so I ended up getting a job, uh, my very first, well, first aviation job was uh, at Transwest Air. Um, so I worked as like an uh, agent there, counter agent, ramp agent. And um, it's actually funny because 10 years later, my first job was with Transwest Air. <laughs> but uh, I only worked there shortly at the beginning before I uh, started with um, Air Canada. Um, so my first role there was a station attendant, um, aka like a rampy or ramper, I think the uh, Americans like to call them. <laughs> Uh, I ended up working there for 10 years uh, in various customer service roles um, before getting my first flying job. So yeah, I guess that was the, that was the start, the Regina Airport. <laughs> I say I have flown into the Regina Airport and it's beautiful. I just remember the terminal being actually, for at least for pilots, it was quite nice. There was a whole sort of pilot lounge and getting to sort of oh. hang out there and wait at a prairie storm was actually uh, a very nice experience. And, and honestly, you might be the first person I've ever heard say one nice thing about the Regina Airport. So that is good. Me and my I, fellow uh, Reginians uh, appreciate that. Yeah, no, I remember saying that it, like, everyone there was so friendly. And I kept saying, like, this is the friendliest airport in Canada. So I've, maybe I just got there on the right day. <laughs> That's awesome. The, I, I did all my training at the Regina Flying Club. And uh, I have to say, I had a pretty good, you know, stretch of instructors and everybody was extremely helpful and kind. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll I can, uh, I can second that part for sure. You'll give them that. <laughs> yeah. I'll, g- <laughs> I'll give Regina that. <laughs> no, and I think the other part of it as well is that you sort of customer service as an aviation, it's a little bit different than customer service, uh, I guess, outside and in other industries. What were maybe some of the realizations you had suddenly working in a customer service environment within the Regina airport context? 
Um, well, so it was interesting because I had started on the ramp. So, I mean, it's, it, it is customer service, but it's not usually face-to-face, I guess, right? So you do, um, you know, working outside basically, right? And you, you don't see passengers quite a bit, but it is, you know, customer service and that you're fulfilling a customer service role. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just uh, kind of interesting that working um, outside was a big thing. I was the first female to have worked on the ramp there uh, with a bunch of, you know, uh, older union fellas who were quite interesting and not necessarily used to working around a female. Um, yeah, I, it was, it's an interesting little corner of the world. The prairies, you know, it's a little bit closed off at times and sometimes a bit closed-minded, but uh, it was uh, it was definitely a good a good stepping stone to be to be close to the airplanes to learn more about aviation to go from not knowing nothing about the aviation sorry the aviation industry to um working in it for yeah like you know a 10-year stint in Air Canada it was uh yeah it was uh it was definitely interesting (laughs) learned Mm -hmm. a lot in those 10 years Yeah, I, I always say that like the the stories I have of customer service experiences from aviation versus yeah. outside of aviation, it's somehow oh, almost yeah. more funny. The stories are yeah. always more intense when it's within aviation. Yeah. It just sort of brings that underlying kind of urgency of like someone's trying to get somewhere to all the it's stories. It's true. And that's a very, very good point. And, uh, you know, when it came time to switching roles within the company, um, I did do uh, a stint as a like a baggage agent, you know, so we you track... Um, they don't call it lost, they call it delayed baggage. <laughs> uh, so as you know, like someone um, is never happy to come see you. Someone is always usually quite upset. And uh, yeah, I think I, I tend to even like, I'll, I'll mention that in interviews or, or something like that. And as soon as I mentioned what I did for work, people are usually like, ooh, <laughs> you know, knowing me and knowing my, I'm generally like a pretty friendly, uh, upbeat person. Um, they're, they're sometimes surprised to hear that because uh, you, it's it's tricky it's a that's a hard job for sure and you're, and you're right like it's urgency people are home for a holiday they're away for three days they're away for a business meeting and um you know when things go wrong they can go really wrong <laughs> yeah no I, I I mean I could just share different stories of like nightmare passenger scenarios that I have <laughs> not necessarily the yeah. person was in the wrong but yeah the different yeah. things that come together their bag was delayed well I remember a crib one time being delayed and thinking like oh, oh or a playpen and thinking like yeah this is this yeah. is fuck I'm really sorry um, <laughs> and that's and that's it right this I apologize I'm going to do everything I can to make it better and that's pretty well all you can do yeah it's just trying to be as like incredibly patient as possible um sort exactly. of thinking back to the prairies um I've had the experience of just being able to sort of fly right on through the prairies but what was it like to do flight yeah. training um, you know, Regina was was great because uh, it was, you know, a towered airport and, uh, you know, not uh, it's not very busy with commercial traffic, but we do have, you know, the uh, the jets and the the dash, the Q400s and stuff like that. Um, so it was kind of cool to learn about the rules, I guess, of a towered airport. Um, but also, I mean, you know, stone throw away are a few, you know, quite a few um just you know little airports uh whether it be grass strips or you know um there's a few mfs uh relatively close to regina so the cross countries were pretty easy to do like um you know uh there's always something relatively close by the training area was quite close 
And yeah, I think uh, when it came time for the, the instrument flying, it was, you know, we had the, uh, I think, I think there's only one ILS at that point. I'm not sure how many there are, but you know, we had all the RNAVs with the LPVs. So it was, um, the airport was good in that it, it was, it was not too busy, but it kind of had everything you needed. So, uh, and then of course there's prairie weather, which, uh, <laughs> you know, can come on pretty strong and pretty mm. intense, but, um, yeah, for the most part, if you're prepared, it was, uh, it was a really good place to learn. Uh, how to fly and yeah I just uh, had a really good experience with the Jana Flying Club so I, I guess I was pretty lucky. <laughs> yeah no again I was just just passing on through and had a wonderful experience with very friendly people so I, I can <laughs> great. I can say yeah I, I, I would recommend the Regina Airport based on one one visit. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. So we touched on how sometimes if you're in job interviews now you mention yeah I have this experience working in the customer service side of aviation. How do you feel your background as a station attendant and later a station lead now maybe influence the way you approach flying and your job now? Um, well, I think just getting to know the aviation industry uh, like set me up a little bit better maybe than, you know, say coming with no um, knowledge of it. Um, there was, there's a lot of, um, at least for me, I had a very, uh, kind of shiny, excited, uh, version about what, you know, being a pilot would look like, like kind of glamorous and, and kind of, uh, awesome and, you know, just really super cool. And, uh, you know, I still sort of think that some days, but, um, the, uh, you know, the reality is, is it's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. So while, while I was there, I would you know, I'd be able to talk to pilots, I'd be able to talk to people firsthand and, um, you know, see what they were going through and see that it, you know, was not always easy or, you know, it was always, there's challenges every day, basically. So that, um, that knowledge can, I think, helped me sort of, you know, in my journey as a, as a commercial pilot. Um, I also too, I mean, this is, sort of not exactly the answer to the question, but it was, uh, it was beneficial in that I learned a lot. Uh, in Regina, we loaded bags, we, um, you know, we clean the cabins, we de-ice the airplane. So knowledge of kind of how the systems and, and what airplanes need, that, that, was, uh, that was a good base for me too. Um, also, I think just uh, for to, like these days, I think just knowing what the other side of it is like, um, it makes, uh, makes you, sort of more grateful for all the pieces that come together to make these flights successful, you know? Um, so yeah, maybe just a little bit more gratitude to, uh, for, you know, for the role I have and then for all the support staff that make, you know, airplanes literally possible to go into the sky. <laughs> I know we've, we've talked about this before, the idea that aviation is not a single player sport, despite the fact yes. that we look at piloting very much as, at least when I first got into aviation, I was kind of spun the narrative that everyone else is great, but the pilots are the most important piece because they're what yeah. make the planes take off and land. And yeah. <laughs> realizing like, no, it's there's so many other people that are important and go into just making that flight possible. I think, yeah, as someone that also has flying aspirations and has worked in aviation customer support roles. Yeah. Roles, like, yeah, you, you appreciate all the different people and all the jobs that you have no idea that that customer service rep does or that ramp agent does um, yes as well what would you like passengers and pilots to know having been in an aviation customer service role well i think um i think mostly 
it's just remembering maybe for, for other um, pilots or pastors, just that there is like a person again, and we just sort of just touched on it, but there is like a human being, you know, doing their role, you know, they're, uh, they're there to, you know, they're doing a job. Uh, they're doing it, you know, likely the best they can. And um, I don't know, they're just, they're humans and they deserve to, deserve to be treated as such. I, it wasn't often, but, you know, the odd time of, as ramp staff, you would get talked down to a little bit. Um, and, you know, cause you're just a, oh, just like a little guy working down there, you know, but um, it is, it's not like you want to be treated, you know, like a king, but just, just like a human being, I guess would have been nice some days. Uh, I, I felt too, um, I started in 2007 and, and I think things probably have changed a little bit for the better since then, but when I was the lead on the ramp, sometimes there would be, you know, pilots coming down or, or, um, you know, people requesting maintenance, anyone requesting things of us. And even though I was the lead, they would seek out any other man they could find to talk to. Um, so I think it's maybe it's a little bit better, but yeah, just, uh, just remembering that, you know, these people in these roles are, are capable and trained, you know, they're highly trained and, uh, are doing a job and just, you know, just treat them as much with as much respect as you would like to be treated with as well um which and, and most people do again but uh there's the odd there's the odd time <laughs> i'm going to sort of tack on something to what you're saying which is the idea that at the same time as someone doing a job they also don't control the weather i feel like that's such a big yep. thing with customer service yes. roles that oh I'm, i i wish i controlled the weather that was something i learned in the customer service roles that i was yeah. in charge of snowstorms and yeah rain um, I'm very sorry, everyone. It's, it's, I'm, yeah. I'm responsible for all of it. So that was always, <laughs> I always liked finding out new new responsibilities of mine when speaking <laughs> to passengers um, and things that I controlled. Um, but That's like, a great point. <laughs> it's a it's a high it's a high pressure environment, and you yeah. again the idea that if someone's traveling, as you said, be it for business, be it for personal reasons, there's a reason that they're getting on that plane, and yeah. there's a reason that they have to get somewhere and trying to be mindful that yeah a hiccup in that plan is is not helpful but yeah speaking nicely to people and remembering that it's yeah their job too they want to they want to yeah. go home at the end of the day as well yes and it's not like anyone wants anything bad for you you know no no one person here is wishing ill it's just yeah unfortunately you worked in aviation for a decade like that's a that's a long time before finally oh getting into the job that you really wanted to have which was to be a pilot what yeah. was it like to finally get that first flying job? Well, I mean, at, four, at first, I think it goes without saying like that I'll never forget that phone call. I'll never get where, forget where I was, what the carpet looked like. I'll, I'll, just, I'll never forget because it was so exciting, right? Like, oh my gosh, this longing of so many years was kind of coming to fruition. You know, it was, uh, it was such a good feeling. Of course, we should go without saying, like just exhilaration. Um, so I, I mean that what comes along with that though is like after building up something for so many years like you're bound to be a little disappointed right like you'll have like a little reality check maybe you know so mm -hmm. um it's uh it was it was a lot of build up for like a, an amazing moment and then um yeah you know once you first get into the job get into the day today you're like oh wow okay this is uh, this is hard <laughs> i don't know why it was just kind of uh kind of um a bit of a shock maybe uh and I also think it's impressive how you don't you really don't know like what you don't know um that's a weird way to put it but 
you know, you walk out, you've got your, your multi-IFR, your, uh, you're feeling pretty confident. You get this job offer feeling good. Uh, I started training in like on-wing training in a King Air and I, oh my gosh, it was, uh, that was really something. <laughs> um, I, you, again, you're kind of confident, you're feeling pretty good. And then that just knocks you right back down. You're like, wow, I have no idea what it is to fly, uh, you know, this turboprop. <laughs> it's so new. It was so hard, so challenging. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a pretty good reality check in a lot of reasons, uh, or sorry, in a lot of ways, I should say. Um, the first time getting paid to fly was incredibly cool too, right? Like, uh, how many times have you dropped thousands of dollars for, uh, you know, an hour and a half in the multi and you're just thinking, oh, it's going to feel so good to get paid one day. So, um, that was a pretty amazing feeling. I will, I will remember my first, uh, paycheck in aviation. That also being said, I was a first officer at a Northern operator. So I was, uh, you know, I was making about $30,000 a year. So <laughs> a little underwhelming but uh yeah so definitely pretty very exciting so rewarding it had finally paid off um definitely a few reality checks along the way but um yeah I don't know a pretty pretty amazing first couple years in aviation I will say <laughs> what advice did you have for someone who is going to a ground school starting their first line job going into that environment what suggestions would you have oh my gosh I think just like being humble asking questions not being afraid to suck <laughs> um, I I think it's just it's all about mindset I think just wanting to soak up as much as you can and learn as much from you know any one of your instructors who are obviously there for for a reason within this company um I'm lucky I had some pretty amazing instructors who were patient answered all my questions um, but yeah, of course, and you know, we hear this all the time in aviation, but I, I, for me, it, it definitely was, was mindset, um, mm -hmm. like zero, zero, it was easy because I had no experience, but zero ego, uh, like, you know, no need to prove myself, just hanging on for dear life and trying to learn every single thing I could. So yeah, just mindset, I think was probably, probably the best asking questions. Of course, like, you know, read a book, <laughs> read your books. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't end when you're outside of the classroom. Go yeah. home and review. <laughs> exactly. Now, again, I, I'm asking you, I guess, quite a bit for your advice, but that's just because I value your advice. What <laughs> suggestions would you have for other people whose aviation dreams, their flying dreams, have taken longer than they had initially planned? And yes, I'm mostly asking for myself. <laughs> Well, um, as someone who, yeah, who went through it, um, I certainly, I thought, you know, by getting into it at a very young age, I would start my career very early. And uh, unfortunately, it just, it didn't work out for me that way. There were, you know, a lot of, a lot of obstacles, basically. Um, and, you know, I had very supportive people in my life, but um, I just, I know firsthand that it's not always super helpful and people are just like, you know, stick with it, keep it up, don't give up. Um, I know that is, that's what people are going to say. That's what I would say to you. But it's just, I know uh, it can be kind of grating after a while because you know, you know, you're not going to give up. You know, you're going to stick with it. Um, I, I guess just keeping your head down and really just trudging through everything. Um, I'm kind of a, like a poster child for it. I just, it took me more time, more money than it should have. And it's, you know, it gets to a point where 
um, people, people have these expectations of you and they, they want to inquire. They want to know how you're doing. They want to know how your progress is coming. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it, again, it can be a bit, uh, it's, it's hard to explain. It can be a bit grating just having so many people always checking in on you and you know, it's coming, but <laughs> it's just been, it's been a hard time. So I, I hate to say it, but yeah, I mean, really it is just, just put your head down and, and don't just don't give up on it. Like, um, if I started this career, you know, at, at 28 and even and a lot of people started even quite a bit later, but, uh, had I not, there was always going to be that, what if, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so if, you know, if, if just taking your time, I mean, the way the industry sounds right now is that there is, you know, still this looming, this uh, looming shortage of qualified people. So if it takes you an extra few years, you know, whatever, <laughs> just, and again, it's so easy to say, but just keeping your head down and keeping working on it for you, not necessarily so you can post your achievements or, you know, brag about your achievements, which not necessarily brag, but just doing it for you. Um, and honestly just doing it is such a good feeling at the end of it so yeah (laughs) my roundabout way of not saying stick to it but saying stick to it (laughs) no and it's it I completely agree and say yeah when everyone it's it's very lovely and how thoughtful is it of everyone to want to check in with you and see how things are going and who who are on your team and it's like the way you feel and you're like no I I don't have an update no I'm still not done yeah no I that exam can be pushed back it's you almost feel self-conscious about it even though people are asking you because they genuinely care they're not asking you to make you feel any sort no. of way they they just want to check in um it would be embarrassing it would start to get embarrassing for me to to be which was something I put totally on myself like you say like these people don't they're not there to attack me but yeah it, it was it was it was tough <laughs> yeah no and there's times where I adore you and you'll say how's that going and I'm like Marielle I never want you to ask again like never ask you but when it's like just shut up Marielle let's talk about Netflix <laughs> let's talk let's talk about like the new show on Netflix and never talk yeah. about like my multi-IFR ever again um can, can we do that um but, yeah. it, but it is I mean one of the reasons I admire you so much is because you have in a roundabout way had kind of a similar experience to me it's sort of you got into aviation at a young age and it took longer than you you've ever thought it would to get to that yeah. flying role and so uh one of the reasons I admire you so much is because you proved to me that I can still do it like hey <laughs> not in a not in a sort of silly way of like if Marielle can do it then anyone no. can but it sort of shows me that yeah if you just stick with it even though we don't want to yeah. just keep saying that if you stick with it yeah and have that network have those people checking on you and mm-hmm. just really apply yourself like it, it, it can be done even if yeah. it doesn't take the same time as everyone else and your peers have since gone on to do so many different things and are now yeah. on their second flying job oh it, my god you can yeah. it, it, it's not like I'm not out of the game just yet so I always love getting oh to god. chat with you and catch up because you remind me that yeah I, I still got some fight left in me yeah oh my gosh yeah no that's that's so true and uh yeah the comparison the comparison thing with anything is killer too right like it's so wonderful to see everyone else around you you know succeed and have these you know these amazing achievements and um but yeah some days are some days are harder than others so <laughs> you're obviously very happy for them but it's it's uh it's, it can be tough knowing you're not where you want to be but oh my gosh is it a good feeling when you get there 
Yeah, no, I, when I get that call, you'll be <laughs> at least in the top five people oh, that I need to call right away. After. Love it. <laughs> so now that you have all these flying fancy stories and you get to actually fly for work presently, you work in a private aviation context, flying various clients on a private jet. How does this type of flying compare to previous roles you've had? Well, so it's it's been very interesting. My only two roles, I flew Northern Saskatchewan and then I flew Northern Ontario. Um, so King Airs both times. And yeah, both situations were basically to the same six or seven communities, the same six or seven airports, uh, mostly uncontrolled, uh, a lot of gravel, um, and, you know, limited weather, limited resources, de-icing, everything else up there. Uh, so yeah, I think flying, um, flying in this role now, it's, it's, it's so interesting because, uh, we fly pretty well, like to, uh, some pretty obscure airports. Even we fly all over Canada, we fly, uh, and, uh, the United States. Uh, I haven't done a, um, Atlantic crossing yet, but we, uh, we do Western Europe. Uh, we do Hawaii. Uh, Central America, you know, I, I, so many destinations. So uh, that's that's pretty that's pretty huge difference. Um, also, I think in the north too. I think most northern pilots can relate that you're you're more of like an essential service. You're like a transport mm. service, right? You are taking goods and people around because otherwise they can they might not physically be able to get there. You know, so many flying communities stuff like that. Um, you know, where, so there's a very small focus on like, say, passenger experience. It's just about safety. It's about safely uh, getting people and goods to where they need to go. Uh, where, of course, on this uh, private jet now, all of a sudden, um, my company, you know, they like to provide sort of a turnkey, like a start to finish. Like, as soon as, um, you know, the car and driver is at the airport, we're, the pilots are there, we're ready to greet you, we're ready to grab your bags, we're ready to set you on board, make sure you have everything you need. Um, you know, we don't have a flight attendant, so I'll be taking care of them during the flight. And then at the end of it, you know, we're going to make sure they're, they have transportation. Like, um, so yeah, just a, all of a sudden, a, a very small focus on uh, passenger experience to it being everything. The, you know, the reason why we're there is uh, to give them the best experience possible, right? Um, and yeah, so I think probably another another way that this is different flying is that uh it's a so it's a medium-sized business jet uh it comfortably seats um well it seats nine comfortably six uh but it's you know it's, it's a relatively big jet so for me the the what's the word the experience gap say between like captains and fo's is uh is quite a bit bigger than anything i've been used to right like um you know a king air captain in the north you know there might be like a a total 3000 hour cockpit, right. As opposed to most of my captains who have, you know, anywhere from five to five to 9,000 hours. So the experience gap too, is, is really different in this flying in that uh, you talk to some very experienced people. And uh, yeah, so that's been, uh, that's been kind of interesting too, as far as like the day-to-day -day types of flying. Um, yeah. Just a, a different kind of, a different kind of cockpit, I guess, maybe than, uh, than back north even just sort of thinking about it, um, I guess when I thought about this question, I was thinking maybe more of the idea of just a different flight planning and maybe some of the challenges, different ways the aircraft, different weather systems, but you yeah. kind of touched on a point that I think is really interesting, which is the different 
the difference of previously you were flying as more of an essential service again yeah goods and people whereas now it's kind of more of a luxury you've kind of seen two very different ends of the aviation spectrum yeah it's very true and um and so it's kind of nice in that uh you know, I'm not saying there's, there's pressure, say, um, up north to complete a mission. Um, but, you know, some days there's, there is that underlying, like, hey, uh, if you can't get these people up, they're going to miss, you know, this funeral or something, right? Whereas, um, yeah, for us now, it's, it's, it's mostly leisure. There is, there is a bit of the aspect, you know, business meetings and stuff like that. But um, it is, yeah, just a, a completely different way of flying. Um, and yeah, and like you said, though, yeah, it's uh, the private jet compared to, you know, the King Air. <laughs> it's, uh, um, well, I will say probably my most favorite thing is the bathroom. <laughs> that's, uh, that's one of the nicest things. That's, uh, yeah, of course, aircraft, aircraft, the systems, the technology, the, the day-to-day is so completely different. Uh, and to touch on the, uh, the experience gap, like I said as well, because you mentioned flight planning, um, I think because of because of this experience gap, so much more is put on the captain. Uh, whereas with the FO, you're you know um, you're obviously involved in all of that, but at the same time, you uh, you are um, not mainly, but one of your big focuses is on the client. So mm-hmm. uh, you know the cabin, um, you know cleanliness and and stocking and everything else. You're uh, uh, it's just it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to, to worry about. Um, but at the same time also less because now you're not physically inputting flight plans, communicating with dispatch as much, yada, yada. So yeah, so different. (laughs) I'm also just mindful as you're explaining it, that your background in customer service and now being kind of the, the face of the crew for your passengers that you, you have Mm -hmm. to sort of maybe draw on some of those aviation customer service experience, uh, the experience that you have and in managing your six to potentially nine passengers. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we're lucky in that, you know, the preparation, like it's normally things are going pretty smooth. So we're usually lucky for that. But of course, when things, you know, things like weather or maintenance, they do come up like in every airline. Um, I will say I, I do tend to draw on, you know, my experiences and just trying to, um, you know, respect that this is an inconvenience to people and just, you know, try to let everybody know we're doing absolutely everything we can to, to get them on their way, you know? And um, yeah, you know, we've got some really great clients who um, are pretty understanding and um, yeah. So I just, I, I, but you know, the thing with the customer service to me too, is that it's nice, not just like talking to happy people too. Yeah. <laughs> like whereas yeah, my last role, it was mostly people are, not happy there's a problem right um whereas this is like oh we're you know me and my sister are going down to uh, the caribbean for a few days so i'm like woohoo, let's grab the champagne you know um that is so much fun uh i really as you can probably tell i really like talking i really like uh chatting to people so um if i can do both it's it's a pretty cool it's pretty yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool to do i definitely i know some people like talking interacting with clients less than i do but uh, i love it I, i love uh, feeding off people and their energy and experiences. So it's fun. <laughs> I can definitely say that if I had a customer service opportunity where it was like, let's crack open the champagne as opposed to, hey, I'm really sorry your bag's delayed. <laughs> I would absolutely take the champagne option. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it can be so much fun at times because we, we do, uh, my company likes to provide a really high level of service. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been pretty awesome. <laughs> what would you say though is maybe the most challenging part of this role? 
Um, so I guess when I, especially when I first started or, um, even no, even now, I shouldn't say just when I first started, we have, uh, we, we do quite long days. Uh, my company is fractional ownership. So, um, basically it's not, you know, it's not a singular owner. It's, uh, it's a, it's a group of owners maybe. Um, but what that provides to the client is that they have access to basically the whole fleet as opposed to one aircraft. So we do, we tend to, especially if a plane's broken or if something's going on, we tend to do quite long days and uh, it's not uncommon for us to, uh, to have like a, like a minimum rest situation. Um, and so I think when things started to open up in the fall, it was uh, just pure basic insanity for us. It was, it was so busy. We were doing so many long days with, um, you know, just less rest than what would have, you know, been comfortable. Um, and yeah, so that, that has been really, really challenging. Uh, and then on top of that, so um, when we're doing these busy days, we're, we, uh, in Toronto, we fly to Florida all the time and, and Florida airspace is just, can be really hectic and kind of challenging. Um, there's a lot of VFR airspace down there, but uh, even, even IFR, you know, those controllers are so busy. Uh, we also do like a Teterboro a lot. So New York airspace, it's, uh, it's, um, you got to be on your toes a little bit, right? Um, you, uh, so it, it takes, it's, it's not exhausting, but it can be. Some days are quite exhausting. So um, I would just say that on top of all that too, um, when, you know, we're expected to, to give a very, very good service to the client. So it's not just safety, which of course we, you know, keep at the forefront. If there's times where we can't go back to offer them champagne, that's obviously okay. We have to fly the airplane. Uh, but it is challenging to also have that uh, extra bit on you. It's like, okay, so uh, we have all this stuff. It's a long day. We have this busy airspace, uh, but we also have to make sure this this flight is tailored tailor made to our client's needs. Um, so yeah, just the the expectation to to perform at a very high level can be uh, can be quite challenging. Um, but you know, it's. Uh, we have good things in place where it shouldn't be more than you can handle, but uh, some days are, some days are tough. <laughs> now from a more technical perspective, how does flying the Embraer legacy compare to the King Air? Oh my gosh. It's like, I, <laughs> like I had, you know, a few thousand hours on the uh, flying before I started, sorry, I should say like two, some thousand hours before I started at uh, this company. And uh, I, I probably could have been just as good had I come straight out of flight school. There is a, it, it is so different. Um, it's a fly-by-wire, first of all, the legacy. Fly-by-wire, uh, of course, is very, uh, I always sound so silly, like technologically advanced. Like it's just, it's it's so technical. Uh, we've got the auto throttles. We've got this very advanced FMS. Um, so my King Air, you know, on the other hand, uh, was um, steam gauges, you know, that sometimes we had to like tap on to work sometimes uh just no autopilot whatsoever they were happy at uh six at my last company's like 16 17,000 feet was was pretty well where they were happiest so we never went to rvfm anything like that um so the physical flying for me like it, it felt like i was it was starting off as again like a brand new pilot um just mm -hmm. learning learning the FMS, learning even something as basic as the, uh, the modes, you know, like your, your, uh, your autopilot, your flight control modes. Uh, like I didn't un understand what climbing and vertical speed meant. I, you know, with the couple of autopilots, I didn't understand what, uh, 
you know, FMS speeds versus manual speeds versus it, it was, it was such a huge, um, it was such a huge challenge for me. So uh, the only thing I think I got good at with the King Air was hand flying, obviously, right? You know, we, we had to hand fly approaches down to minimums and, and all that stuff. Uh, so the, probably the one thing that transferred for me, maybe was that uh, most captains will, will notice that one of the things I'm, you know, quote unquote, best at is the actual like landing thing, like the actual hand flying. So even though it's five by war, um, I guess maybe just that little bit of experience helps you, I don't know, see where you're going. <laughs> figure Do you have a lot of opportunity to actually still hand fly the aircraft or is it mostly just all fly by wire except sort of 400 feet of uh, autopilot on yeah, or off? They, um, they definitely, I think our SOP manual will state, you know, like uh, high density airspace, you know, get it on, which makes sense. Um, and, uh, but otherwise they, they like you to keep your skills sharp as well. So uh, it is also like a path driven airplane though. So even when you're hand flying, it's, it's relatively easy. Like you set your path and you can let go of the controls, right? You just let go and it follows the path that you last set. So, um, so even the hand flying is, is pretty, it's relatively easy. Uh, but that being said, you know, most of the time we, uh, if it, or of course, bad weather or anything like that, uh, you know, we're going to keep the autopilot on, but they, they like you, especially we have a lot of good captains who like you, like an empty leg say, you know, like, yeah, sure. You know, hand fly your glide boat, something like that. Um, but yeah, they definitely, especially because this plane is so technical, they like you to have the autopilot on. <laughs> Sorry, mm -hmm. with customers too, I should mention for passenger comfort, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Now you've gone through your just flying role so far from being a first yeah. officer to a captain to a first officer again now on the legacy what lessons yeah. have you learned as a captain that you now integrate into your experience and sort of daily life as a first officer once again um that's a good question i uh it was definitely something um it took a little bit getting used to i guess right like going back to the first officer side um i think you know after becoming a captain I think you realize what personalities or attitudes really make for a great first officer. Um, so I think after, you know, having that experience now, I could, I could take and try to, to emanate those, you know, to be those amazing FOs that I flew with. Um, I really tried to, um, you know, just do what they did and work with me uh, or work, work with my captains the way they work with me. And I really, um, you know, you learn a little bit from every single person you fly with. So, uh, yeah, I think just taking some of those good attitudes and, um, yeah, trying to, trying to bring those into back, uh, sorry, back into being a first officer. Um, also I think, uh, I, you, you recognize with yourself as a captain, I think sometimes there's a tendency, especially when you have a newer first officer to, um, sort of take everything on yourself. Um, and it, it was hard sometimes as a captain to shed some of your workload where you could, um, and not necessarily a trust, not necessarily an ego, but just that, you know, sometimes in the moment, um, it might've been hard to, to again, just like share, share the work, which is, you know, the height of good CRM. Um, so I think it's, but that also made me recognize it maybe with my captains now where I'd be like, Hey, there's, you've got a lot going on. Like, what can I, what can I do? What can I do to help? Uh, so I think that's been a, been a good skill. And I, I think people, you know, appreciate it and, uh, recognize it just, you know, making yourself available. Well, you obviously are, but just making sure you're doing, you're being as available and helping out any way you can. Um, I've been trying to bring, yeah, bring that back into being an FO for sure. 
say you sort of I guess often as a first officer are told like you learn so much from your captains and you're going to learn yeah a lot maybe about yourself or sort of the type of captain you do or don't want to be based on the captains you interact with it hadn't occurred to me that equally as a captain knowing that you might go on to be a first officer later on again how much you might actually learn from your first officer of oh what I thought was being super keen and helpful nope super annoying not helpful (laughs) at all like gotta remember not to do that next time so I'd never it's never been spun for me that way of yeah the captain can learn a lot about how they are as a first officer or maybe if they find themselves sort of in that dynamic again some of the things that they would maybe do differently it's like oh that was really helpful or oh that was I know you are well-intentioned but that was really annoying yes oh my gosh 100% so yeah I mean I think and again like every single person you climb in that airplane with you you learn something from um and you know you can do what you will with it but I I really I've been trying to yeah remember that I mean again I had some especially in the north you it, it didn't matter you were faced with so much during a day but if you had um you know someone who if you had a good teammate you could get through anything so that's what I try to remember too, is that I just want to be, you know, everything, ever, the, 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 I mean, part of being FO again too, is you're just, you're kind of back to being a chameleon, right? You just kind of blend in, uh, you know, we're, 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 it's not like a SOPs change or anything, but you know, the culture in, in the cockpit can change a little bit from time to time. So you're back to be a chameleon. Um, and yeah, if you can just kind of remember that and make your, make it known that you are a very, you know, supportive member of this team and you just want to complete your your mission for the day uh, and be, you know, just be a good team member. I think, uh, I think it can make a difference, uh, especially, you know, if you're stuck together for sometimes eight days in my case. (laughs) As well, this idea of learning from others, having the opportunity to sort of reflect and develop yourself, how did or did not having a mentor impact your aviation career? Well, it's, uh, it's easy to look back and of course, see what you might've done differently. Um, a big, big, big thing for me was that I really wish I would have, I would have sought out more community. Um, I really did feel like I was on my own. There was Mm -hmm. that, that, that bit about being a bit, uh, embarrassed, you know, um, I had just talked about doing this so much that I almost didn't want to talk about it anymore. I just wanted to do it. Uh, but I really do wish I would have, realize that this isn't you know that's nothing to be ashamed of like I really really wish I would have uh reached out to try to fit find a bit more of a community I think had I had I really I really didn't you know it wasn't my family there there wasn't really there really wasn't much there really wasn't anyone um but again my, my normal supportive people in my family and stuff like that but especially an aviation-based or even career-based mentor I think really would have made some differences for me I think um, I'm not saying it could have been done better or sooner or anything like that, but I do think it, it might have been a little bit easier had I just, mm. just tried to find someone to reach out a little bit to, to ask for help. I think it probably would have built some of my confidence, um, shaped some of my, you know, decision making. Um, but yeah, so I, looking back, I, I really wish I would have had a bit more of that. Uh, and to that point, I'm very excited to get like a bit more situated in, in my, you know, my career and everything else, because I really hope to be um, that person one day. I really want to be someone that people can can actively reach out to and try to help fill that void that I, you know, I, I felt I had. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I think it's just what a great thing to have community and to have that mentor. Um, so yeah, I would encourage absolutely everybody <laughs> to seek that out. <laughs> 
I'll say you sort of say that like you hope one day you can do that well frankly you're already doing that with me I assume that you're doing that with other people as well like it's it, yeah it's um no I mean it aviation is hard it is so hard yes. you and I can I think I mean there's many people that can attest to that but you and I understand yes. that in a very particular way and I think so. it's it, it becomes so much easier when people know that you're having a hard time it's hard to admit that but it becomes mm-hmm. a lot easier when people know that you are open to receiving help and yes are are happy to maybe have some guidance so yeah, yeah it, it, it does make a huge difference and you are already helping people and inspiring people and that <laughs> oh, person that go-to person so, so don't just get yourself that way <laughs> I will hope to continue to be so thank you for that <laughs> now sort of in a similar vein to different themes throughout our episode who is someone in aviation you admire and why well it's sort of like we said like being a pilot is just or sorry like anybody in aviation um it's it's hard it's hard work um you know from transport canada exams to to everything else to the the money involved it's it's not easy um i will say though i and probably because i'm a bit biased i just really really admire pretty well anyone who's who really had to um, overcome you know big obstacles who's kind of had to go at it on their own and um, you know make make sacrifices and and you know uh, get through major obstacles um, I just honestly I love hearing about their stories I love well anybody I love hearing about like how how they got there but I just I really truly admire these people who have who have endured um, because like we said it is a hard uh it is a hard profession to get in, a uh, hard industry to get into. Um, but other than that, like the people, the people I've really admired are uh, like, I can think of a couple captains, uh, one specifically at Chance West, uh, j- just like I admired them so much. They were the ones who, they set that professional tone. They did everything by the book. They had incredible CRM skills. Um, and they were just really good people who valued and respected your opinion. And even though, you know, you're a 300 hour pilot, they, they make you feel like a valued member of the team. I'll never forget that. Um, there was the, yeah, this one lady captain, she's now flying for uh, Air Canada. Uh, she was just, she was incredible. She was like my go-to, like what would Jen do in this situation is what is literally what I would think of myself as a captain. Like what would Jen do? Um, so yeah, it's uh, those sort of things really stick with you. And if, if I can try to emanate that as, as a pilot, like that I'm doing a good job. <laughs> no, I am going to sort of tack this on to what you were saying previously about mentors and it can yeah. be, and one of the ways of having a good mentor to make things easier is that if that's someone that, I mean, ideally you admire your mentor, I think that can be the most healthy way to sort of have a mentor <laughs> if, you, if you like them. Um, yeah. But this idea of having someone to sort of like, how would they approach this? Like, I think that they would do a really good job at this or they are, the best when it comes to CRM or whatever it may be, how would they approach it? It becomes a very easy way to kind of hone in on yourself, what you maybe want to change or the different way you would approach it. So yeah, having a mentor and then sort of just with people you admire in aviation around you as well, it can be easier to maybe see that, that growth in yourself that you hope to see um, through kind of emulating what would Jen do? What would yeah. Kate do? What would all these other people do? So it, it becomes How would they react? Yes. Um, and I just, I think you notice, I think the best how it's noticed their, their weaknesses. Um, and, you know, so I am still, we're all doing like self audits. I think we're like, oh, okay. So uh, that 
you know, I reacted to this because of this, could I have done better this way? Or, you know, I think, I think we all do that. And, uh, I think those, those people that you, um, that you, you really admire, I think, uh, you kind of, you think like, okay, to be more like that or to have this better of an attitude. Um, but yeah, so that's why I think, I think you're exactly right. Like these mentors and, uh, yeah, these people are, are so, so important to, to have within your career. <laughs> What are some of the things you enjoy doing outside of flying? <laughs> I honestly wish I were more <laughs> exciting. I really do. Uh, I have been trying to get back into um, into weightlifting. I really enjoyed um, powerlifting and Olympic lifting, and it's just it's it's really challenging. It's quite technical. Um, it feels amazing, and it you know it makes you kind of strong and capable, like functionally. So. That's really good. Um, of course, the gyms here in Ontario, it has been sort of a, <laughs> a stop and go for the last two years. So it's been hard to get really back into it. But mm-hmm. yeah, so that's that's definitely something I enjoy. I should do more of. Um, but unfortunately, I, I also just really love eating. <laughs> I really love wine. So, uh, you know, that tends to be, uh, you know, a days off like uh, enjoyment, right? Like uh, planning a really nice meal or uh, cooking that kind of thing, pairing it with a nice bottle of wine. Um, and I probably just watched too much Netflix and stuff. Otherwise, you know, lots of streaming content. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's tricky when, uh, yeah, it's tricky. I'm, I'm not, you know, we're living in Toronto for work. So it's, uh, there's less of your people around. So you end up, uh, you know, you end up changing what your hobbies and everything else look like. <laughs> mm-hmm. On the topic of food, I always, I mean, following you on social media on your days off, you always seem to be at like the coolest new restaurant. Like I know the next time I'm in Toronto, I always think like, I'm going to have to like reach out to Marielle because she's going to know like the spot to go to. Like you are my, like you're my like Stefan of Toronto cuisine. So I just wanted to like know where do I need to go if I want to have tapas, if I want to have like the best Chinese food, like where do I need to go? I should, yes, I should hopefully buy that and have a good list and pub. Because again, it's a, uh, you know, an unfortunate hobby that's a little expensive, not great for your waistline, but oh, I love eating. So. <laughs> Who cares? It's good food. <laughs> and yeah, when it's like, yeah, fully fine and not impacting aviation, good wine. Yes. Oh, exactly. Yes. That's what they offer for. <laughs> now, what advice would you have for someone considering a career in corporate aviation? Well, so I uh, would say there's a few things. Um, I guess, especially with corporate aviation, um, you have to be a bit ready for um, unpredictability. Um, I know mine. My experience is a little bit different because the fractional ownership is not always the corporate aviation um, experience. Uh, but I mean, yeah, so as opposed to bidding a schedule, um, you know, you basically have reserve days and on those reserve days, um, you know, you never really know where you might end up. (laughs) Um, so just kind of being prepared for a flexible schedule is one of them. Um, I, I think I just didn't really have that mentally totally comprehended by the time I started. (laughs) So it was, uh, it can be trying at times your, your schedule is supposed to do one thing for one day and then it's completely different um and it's really hard to plan ahead sometimes so um another thing with that is that you have to be prepared to be on your own for a lot of things so um like you're at an fbo somewhere in you know a small town in florida in the middle of night and you need to be able 
to sort of put your plane to bed and, uh, you know, find your way to the hotel and, you know, make sure you have hotel books. And, you know, we have, uh, we have dispatch that helps out with a lot of it, but um, a lot of times you can be on your own or, you know, if you have an issue, uh, if you have to add oil to your APU, you're going to be up there doing that on a ladder. So um, as opposed to say, you know, uh, an airline where they mostly have other people to do these things, uh, you have to be prepared to yeah do basically a lot of stuff on your own. Um, also with that, I think you have to be prepared uh, to um, do a lot of the smaller tasks or not necessarily smaller, but like tasks such as cleaning the cabin, um, stocking the cabin, um, you know, just things where you're off base again, you know, maybe in a rural airport somewhere in the States, they don't have a groomer that's going to come clean your plane, but you're going to have clients on tomorrow. So um, I think sometimes people don't really realize that it, it is, it is a lot of hands-on work. That's not just flying. So uh, I think corporate is, is special for that. And that, um, you know, most airlines there's, again, there's other people to do these jobs, but uh, you're on your own, own a lot in corporate. Um, and yeah, so also things like uh, putting on engine tents or, you know, something in the winter, it's, uh, just little things that can surprise you, I guess. Um, so that's, you know, the very, very practical, practical things about it. But, um, I think also, as we know, aviation is just such a small world, especially in Canada. Um, I think business, even sorry, business aviation too, is even a bit smaller, uh, of a network. So, um, just keeping, uh, keeping a really good network, you know, um, pretty well, everywhere we go meeting, meeting people, trying to introduce yourself, keep a good name for yourself, help out people when they need it um just yeah networking of course we know is so huge and especially i think in the business aviation uh also a good really good uh, rapport with your you know previous companies um i think maybe people lose sight of that a little bit near especially if they're they'll be moving on and they think they'll never have to look back um so you know quitting with less than two weeks or you know something something to that effect uh, i think it's really important to um so yeah have a good rapport with your companies of course, references are, you know, important. Um, but yeah, I think just, um, yeah, keeping, keeping good, uh, keeping good network, keeping good references and um, just never, never being afraid to apply, I suppose. Right. Like there's these dream jobs out there. So yeah, I don't know. Just go for it. It's fun. <laughs> no, it's a completely different side of aviation than I think uh, at least I ever considered. And Every time I talk to you, I'm always more and more curious. So we'll definitely have to follow up on some of these points here. <laughs> now, would you please share with me a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your flying career so far? Man, um, it's, for some reason, that's like kind of tricky for me. There's, there's so many just really great days. You know, there's really rewarding, um, amazing, like um, fun days. And then there's also the, you know, stressful, exhausting sort of nightmare days, you know, it's, uh, it's to, to think about that is kind of, I don't know, I guess like my biggest, the best parts I think for me in my career so far were I was, I was very happy to become a captain. That was something I always thought I wanted to do. So when that day came along, um, it was pretty amazing. Um, and then, yeah, I would, I would also just say, uh, getting hired to fly this jet was, it was a pretty, pretty incredible thing. This is, uh, you know, quite an airplane and, um, quite an airplane to have as your first jet. So, uh, I'd say those are probably two of the highlights of my career so far <laughs> and many more to come. 
Well, let's hope so. <laughs> you know, I mean, starting from the Regina Flying Club, the Regina Airport, working your way to a flying job, multiple flying jobs, and now being on a jet. I mean, even in the span of 10 plus years, it's still very impressive. And it's easy to sort of see that uh, clearly you've not peaked potential yet. There's still so much more to come. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. I hope so. I hope to do another one of these episodes uh, again and talk about more. <laughs> and then I can interview you. <laughs> yes, yes. Eventually we'll have to turn the tables and I will have to be uh, my own nightmare scenario because it's very fun can't to wait. ask everyone else questions. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be great. Now, before we wrap up today, where can our listeners find you on social media? I would say um, I'm not great at social media, uh, but my my uh, main profile I use is on Instagram. It's uh, one underscore dot underscore below. Uh, you know, one of those like cringier uh, handles you make when you first become a <laughs> But uh, I always thought, okay, you intercept the localizer from the bottom. So, you know, you're going to be one dot below. Anyways. But yeah, I uh, haven't been posting much lately because work, uh, you know, it's been pretty, pretty insane. But uh, yeah, I like, uh, I just, I love seeing people's, um, you know, aviation related uh, content and their everything. So feel free to give me a follow and I'll certainly uh, like to see your profile as well. <laughs> we will be sure to have that link in the episode description for our listeners. Marielle Carroll, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Laura. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searle. If you would like to learn more about the show, The Holding Short Podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us.